You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Bow our heads together. Our Father, we commit our time to you today because we understand and we confess before you that we are unable to discern spiritual things apart from the assistance and enabling of your spirit. You have given us renewed minds, but now, Lord, we ask that you would renew them this morning by your word. And we pray that your spirit would be here to guide us into truth, to take the words that are spoken and the words of this verse and make them very applicable and very relevant and very um, meaningful to our hearts this morning. We desire to be sanctified by your truth, and we pray that you would do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, after spending last Sunday talking about the uh, positive thinking and the way that we should use our minds and an appropriate use of our minds as opposed to an inappropriate use of the mind, I don't want any of you to walk away from here, either last Sunday or this Sunday, thinking that I am a power of positive thinking type of individual. You know that I'm not, right? I don't buy into the Robert Schuller um, idea that if you and I can create our own reality through thinking positive things, and if we just use our mind rightly, that we can create wealth and change reality and make ourselves better people. I'm not a power of positive thinking person. When I talk about the right use of the mind and thinking those things which are pleasing to God, we're only talking about what Scripture describes as having our minds renewed as basically taking our minds and our thought processes and the things that we think and the way that we think and what we put in front of our eyes and therefore what goes into our mind, bringing that all into submission to and subjection to the Lordship of Christ. We're not talking about the power of positive thinking. The power of positive thinking movement says that your problem is really not sin. See, I don't believe that. I think your problem is sin. That is my problem. That's my number one problem is that I'm a sinner. And the power of positive thinking would say your problem is not sin, but your problem is that you're not fully able to recognize or at least you're not living up to the potential of that divine spark that is in you. And if you just realized how much of God you are and how much of God you have in you, and if you just thought rightly about yourself and rather than not having a right ego, if you were just a bit more prideful, a bit more uh, sort of egocentric, a bit more power, positive thinking about you, you could... Realize all of your potential that you have. God has given you all of this potential, but Adam's problem was that he didn't live up to it because he wasn't thinking rightly. And your problem is that you have all this potential. It's not sin, but you have all this potential and you're not thinking rightly. All of that is baloney. 
false doctrine is bad teaching from first to last. We don't believe that. Reject that all as unbiblical. But when we talk about the right use of our mind, what we are talking about is being renewed in our minds by the Word of God and thinking right things, right thoughts, and thinking on true things. And so that brings us to our text, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We just sort of introduced it last week by talking about the importance of the mind, what an unbeliever's mind is like. It's defiled, it's darkened, it's depraved, it's hardened, it's unable to assess spiritual things, receive spiritual things. But that's not where we're at as believers. As believers, we have been given a new mind. We have been given a mind now that has the capacity to assess spiritual things, to understand spiritual things, and to receive spiritual truth. We have a mind now that is capable of loving God and honoring Him and glorifying Him. That's what we've been given. The unbeliever doesn't have that. As believers, we do have that. So now the question becomes, if that is the way my mind is described in Scripture, that now I have this capacity and I have this ability, how then am I to use my mind? Do I just sit back and wait for the right way of thinking to sort of fall onto me? Do I wake up one morning and all of a sudden I think good thoughts? I think right thoughts. I don't struggle with my thinking anymore. Is that how it happens? That's not how it happens. Actually, it takes a tremendous amount of work, a tremendous amount of discipline, a tremendous amount of focus to rightly use our minds because left to its own devices, our minds would destroy us. Listen, what the conclusion we came to last week was that you determine what you think about. Remember that? I'm going to appeal to that again today. You determine what you think about. You determine how you use your mind. And you have to determine what you think about. You have to decide that you're going to use your mind in a way that is pleasing to the Lord and honoring to the Lord and that you're going to, with the Lord's help, renew your mind in the spirit in which it was intended to be renewed. Charles Spurgeon, and this is a quote that I meant to give to you last week, but apparently it was so good that I wanted to save it for this week because I forgot all about it. Spurgeon said, listen to this, quote, It is dreadful to think that a vile imagination once indulged gets the key of our minds and can get in again very easily, whether we will or no and can so return as to bring seven other spirits with it more wicked than itself, and what may follow no one knows. There's a tremendous amount of wisdom and profundity in that statement. A vile imagination, once indulged, gets the key to your mind. And once you indulge the vile imagination, that vile imagination will find it easier and easier to get into your mind. And soon it no longer needs a key because the lock is taken off, and before long there's not even a door on your mind But you've indulged that imagination so much, you've given your mind over to it so much, that it's just, it's right there. And it controls you. And it will control you. And it will destroy you. You know where Ted Bundy got his start? Serial killer Ted Bundy? You know where it started for him? He didn't just walk out one day and start killing ladies. It started with pornography. Did you know that? Just pornography. A fixation with pornography. Looking at the wrong things. And you say, Jim, you understand, I'm not Ted Bundy. I'm not Ted Bundy. It'll never happen to me. Really? You say, I can control it. Really? You control the vile imaginations? I'll tell you something. Your vile imaginations will take you all the way to destruction. And the whole time you'll think that you control them. And you'll always tell yourself, it'll never happen to me. You know how arrogant that is to say that? I can control this sinful thought. It'll never destroy me like it has destroyed other people. Men and women better than myself. It'll never destroy me like it's destroyed them. It'll never ruin my family. It'll never ruin my marriage. It'll never ruin my walk with the Lord. It'll never lead to the ruin of people around me because I can control it. You can't control it. If you can control it, then stop it. Show me you can control it by stopping it. Use your mind rightly. Or it'll destroy you. 
So that brings us to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We're looking at those six qualities, and you see that there are six of them listed. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, and so on. And then there are two categories that are given. If anything, excellence, and if anything, worthy of praise. Those are sort of category headings. They cover a lot of things that are not listed in that verse. And then he says you need to dwell on these things. So you have to fix your mind on them. And the first step towards stopping wrong thinking and beginning right thinking is to acknowledge that I determine what I think about. Nobody else dictates that to me. My environment does not dictate that to me. The television set does not dictate that to me. The grocery aisles do not dictate that to me. The people at the beach do not dictate that to me. The Internet does not dictate to me what I think about. I determine what I think about. And you determine what you think about. So Paul says you are to... Renew your mind by thinking on certain things. And there are six qualities, so let's go through them. The first one is, whatever is what? True. Whatever is true. Alephes is the word. It has sort of a variety of different meanings in Scripture. It can mean something that is real or true as opposed to something that doesn't exist. It refers to that which is in reality exists and not an imagination or something that's not real. It's used in Acts 12, verse 9, when the angel came and released Peter from prison. Luke says, Peter did not know that what was happening to him was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And it uses that word because it refers to something that is actually in reality and that is real as opposed to that which is imaginary or that which is simply a vision or a dream. Now, I don't want to go... Too far afield on this application, but I do want to pause for just a second, and I don't want to go beyond what's written. But listen, you and I have to learn to control or at least assess and be careful of our daydreaming. Our daydreaming. I'm not saying that Paul here is prohibiting the use of the imagination. I don't think that he is. Nor do I think that Paul is prohibiting daydreaming. I don't think that he is. But he is telling us that we ought to think about those things which are true or real. It takes a lot of imagination to do what I do and to do what you do at your work. A lot of people here get paid for being imaginative, for dreaming up scenarios and coming up with ideas and visions. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trying to picture what is not and try to bring what is not into reality. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Our imagination can be a very useful thing. I have to employ a lot of imagination to come up with any sermon, just to make sure that I don't come up here and say the same thing to you week after week after week, use the same tired jokes, the same tired illustrations, the same tired stories, and the same tired truths. It takes a lot of imagination to do what I do. There's nothing wrong with imagination. But we can use our imaginations in a wrong way, can't we? There's nothing wrong with daydreaming per se, but I'm just here to tell you, we ought to... Be very careful with our daydreaming. And when we catch ourselves daydreaming, we should stop and say, does it meet the qualifications that are listed here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8? And you can spend a tremendous amount of time and a tremendous amount of energy twiddling away your days, your hours, and your minutes in things that do not exist and probably will never exist. And it can become an addiction. And you ought to be careful with it. And you ought to bring your imagination and your daydreaming under control. So the word true can mean that which is real opposed to that which doesn't exist. It can also mean something that is reliable or trustworthy. It's used in Romans chapter 3, verse 4 to speak to say where Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. And the idea there is truthfulness and reliability, veracity, something you can trust or depend upon. It's used in that way. But most of the time in Scripture, it's used of that which is simply true as opposed to that which is false. You and I are to be consumed in our minds with that which is true. Now, where do we find truth? Find truth in the Word of God, right? I believe that that's Paul's primary meaning in the text. 
You and I are to think upon those things that we know to be true because God has revealed true things to us. And so we determine that we are going to think about those things that the Bible says we should think about, those things that are revealed to us in Scripture. All thy word is truth, David says in Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. All the commandments of the Lord are true. Jesus said, sanctify them, Father, in your, in your truth. Thy word is truth. So if you want to know what should I be thinking about, what is true, you open up the Bible and you read the Bible. Let me tell you something. The Spirit of God does not produce sanctified, pure thinking out of whole cloth apart from anything else. You know how He produces it? He produces it through His Word. Show me somebody who bathes himself in Scripture and reads Scripture voraciously, and I'll show you somebody who can control his imagination and his mind and his thinking. But show me somebody who neglects Scripture, and I'll show you somebody who's living as a victim to their thoughts. You will not be able to purge your thoughts or to clean up your thoughts or to discipline your mind if you neglect Scripture. You cannot do it. You know why? Because the enemy and the world and the flesh will inundate your mind with falsehood. And you will have nothing to combat the falsehood. And pretty soon you'll find yourself believing lies. You have to be a student of Scripture. It's not a verse a day keeps the devil away. And you can't say to me, well, Jim, I woke up this morning and I spent 30 seconds reading the verse at the beginning of the daily bread. And then I read the little devotional. I closed it, said the quick prayer at the end, read the poem, and I'm good for the day. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're dying on the vine. And the reason you're dying on the vine is because you don't open up your Bible and read five or six chapters a day, which is what you should be doing. You should be reading Scripture every single day and allowing it to renew your mind. You have to be sanctified by the truth. And where do you find the truth? You find the truth in the Word of God. And we hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against thee. And listen, if you have a real problem with your mind and disciplining your thinking, then that just means you need to read Scripture more. It really is that simple. That's not all that there is to it, but that's the first step. That's why Paul begins with whatever is true, truth. That's what you think on. Now let me make it applicable. Every sin of the mind that you and I indulge is based upon a lie. Every sin of your mind, in fact, every sin you commit, either with your mind or with your will in your body, is the result of believing a lie. Worry is a sin because it is the believing of a lie. It is me telling myself, I need to worry because God is not good, God is not providential, God is not sovereign, God is not wise, God is not able to provide for me, or He doesn't care for me and He won't provide for me. Those are all lies. And when I believe those lies, then I begin to worry. So how do you combat those lies with the truth? You open up your Bible and you read Matthew chapter 6. And you spend some time reflecting on and meditating on and even memorizing the words of Jesus. Are you not more important than the sparrows of the air? Are you not more valuable than the lilies of the field? And if that is so, then your Father will provide for you. He knows what you are going to ask before you even ask it. He's good and He cares for you and He's wise and He's sovereign and he's, you're more valuable to Him than anything else. And so everything that happens is for your good and for His glory. All of those are true things. So you want to combat uh, worry? You think upon the true things that you know to be true about the character of God. Do you know that lust is believing a lie? The sin of lust is believing and embracing a lie. What's the lie? The lie is, if I only had that person, then I would be satisfied. If I only had that person, I would be happy. That person would be better than my spouse. That's a lie. All of those are lies. And you only lust when you believe that lie. But if you believe that there is nobody else in the world that can satisfy me, like my spouse can satisfy me, if you believe that, if you believe true things, then you won't lust. 
least it'll be a lot easier to get those thoughts out of your mind because you'll recognize them right away. That's wrong thinking. That person could never satisfy me. That's a lie. And you're a fool if you believe that. You're a fool if you believe that somebody else can satisfy you better than your spouse can. You know what the truth is? The truth is found in Proverbs chapter 5. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exalted always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? The truth is found in Proverbs chapter 7. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. That is speaking of the adulteress. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. The truth is in Proverbs chapter 6, which says the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense, and he who would destroy himself does it. That's the truth. The truth is, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality and that you learn how to possess your own body in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And you know that you do not defraud your brother in this matter because God is the avenger of all such evil, because he has called us to purity and sanctification and not to impurity. That's the truth. So you struggle with lust? Memorize all those passages I just read to you. And you spend your time thinking about those things that are true. Covetousness. Is believing a lie. Did you know that? Covetousness is believing the lie that if I only had that thing, I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. You would get that thing and you would want something else. Something better. Something, something newer. Something brighter. Something shinier. You're like a monkey in a cage. You see something outside the bars and it's really shiny and you get it, you look at it, you rub it for a little bit and then you see something else outside the cage that you got to have that's shinier than what you now have. That's what we're like. And covetousness is believing if I can only get this then I would be happy. If my circumstances were only this, then I could be happy. And those are all lies. So how do you think in your mind? You think on those things which are true. Those things which you know to be true. You and I have to have the discernment to recognize when something false comes into our mind and we're believing a lie and we've got to be able to identify the lie and say, now this is the lie, now what is true? And whatever is true, that's what I'm going to think on. You think on those things that are true. Second, whatever is honorable. Whatever is honorable. Whatsoever things are true. And whatever is honorable. What are honorable things? The word, actually, six of the seven times that this word is used, it's used in the pastoral epistles. That's First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And it's six of the seven times that the word is used, it's used of people. Elders are said to be, or told to be honorable. Deacons' wives must be honorable. Deacons must be honorable. Older men must be honorable. The word means uh, revered, or august, or majestic, or sober, or serious. It has that idea. It's something which inspires awe, something which inspires reverence, something which inspires adoration or praise or worship. That is something that is honorable. This is the only place in all of the, all of the letters of the New Testament where the word honorable is not used of a person, but of something that we are to think on. So that which is honorable is that which is majestic, it's high, it's lofty, it's lifted up. And the Apostle Paul says you need to think on those things which are honorable. So let me ask you a question. Are your thoughts characterized as honorable? Lofty, majestic, august. How do I apply this? What does this mean? Well, if you spend all day listening to talk radio and then you come home and you watch the news and you read the newspaper and you go to bed, I can guarantee you probably have not had an honorable thought all day long. You have not had any thought that is anywhere above your own plane. 
When we think on things that are honorable, it means that I make my mind think about things that inspire awe. Something bigger than me. Something beyond me. This is why I read. I read because reading makes me think about things which are beyond my own plane. Worry is the result of thinking about everything that is common and vulgar and vile and everything pertaining to here, down here. All the trivial nitty-gritties of life. Politics, what's going on in the news, who got murdered, the condition of the roads, what's happening with the county budget. All of those things are common, they're vulgar, they're vile, they're lowly and trivial. And when I think on those things, I start to worry and my focus starts to come down here. But when I force myself and I make myself to think on eternal realities that make me stop and go, whoa, that's beyond me. That's majestic. That inspires awe. Think about things that are honorable. And I say, Jim, does that mean that I can never have a thought that's not lofty? Because I'm going to go to the store this afternoon and I'm going to try and compare spaghetti sauces. And I want to know which one's going to taste best and be the best. And that's not exactly what you call an honorable thought. And I'm going to go to work tomorrow morning and my job is to sit at the machine and go chunk chunk all day long and I'm punching out widgets and I hardly have an honorable thought in all of my thinking all day at work. Does that mean that I can never think about anything that's trivial or mundane? No, it doesn't mean that. I'll cover that more next week. But you've got to ask yourself, am I thinking and do my thoughts reflect that which is honorable? Is it lofty and does it lift my mind above the trivial and the common? Is it vulgar or is it venerable? Is it respectable or is it despicable? What's my thinking like? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, and the third one, whatsoever things are right. Right. The word is dikaios in the Greek, and it actually is translated 40 times righteous, 33 times as just. And it is the idea of that which is righteous and just. It doesn't have the idea as right as opposed to wrong, or truthful as opposed to untruthful. That's not the idea. When Paul says you think on that which is right, he's using a term that is used to describe that which is righteous, that which is just. Are my thoughts thoughts of justice and rightness? Are they righteous in the sight of God? It's the same word that's used to describe the righteousness that I have as a result of my faith. That me, a sinner, can be seen as blameless and faultless and innocent in the sight of God. I'm justified. I'm declared just and declared righteous on the basis of my faith. It's the same word. So now the question becomes, are my thoughts reflective of the righteousness that I have in Christ? Do I think on things that are righteous things or do I think on things that are unrighteous things? Is my, is my righteous standing with God reflected in my day-to-day thought life? How do you think on things that are righteous as opposed to things that are unrighteous? Well, you could try this. You could try just spending some time thinking about the righteousness of God in Christ. He who is righteous and holy. All of God's ways are righteous. So you want to think about righteousness? Think about God's ways. His ways of justice, His ways of goodness, His ways of mercy, compassion, loving kindness, and gentleness. Think about His mercy as a shepherd. Everything that God does is righteous in and of itself, and it's just. So the term, or the the quality right, or righteous, it actually precludes a whole bunch of things. What does it preclude? If my thinking is right, that means that I can never have, or should never have, an unjust thought. And any time I have an unjust thought, I should make it a just thought. How do I make an unjust thought a just thought? Well, what would be an unjust thought? An unjust thought would be seeing somebody who, let's just use something common to us, who has a different skin color, and instantly in my mind, I have a prejudiced or racist thought. That's wrong and it's sinful. It's not right, and it's not according to God's righteous standards, and it's not a right thought in that way. So what I ought to do is remind myself of what Scripture says. 
His skin color is absolutely meaningless. He has more melanin in his skin than I do. That's all it is. He's created in the image of God. Any impartiality in my thinking is to be rejected. Anything that says he's wealthier than that person is and so I need to treat him better than that person, those are unjust thoughts, not right thoughts. Any thought that does not reflect God's moral character, God's righteous law, or God's righteous standard is to be rejected. So whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are right, and the fourth one, whatsoever things are pure. Pure. The word means free from defect or defilement. It refers to that which is chaste, that which is pure. It has an obvious moral sense, and it is talking about moral purity and moral things. And I think that the best way to apply it and to see it is is as addressing the morality of our thoughts. That which is true addresses the whether our thoughts are thinking on true things or falsehoods, real things or fake things. That which is honorable reflects sort of the quality of my thoughts. Are they majestic? Are they above the day-to-day? Are they something that causes me to be in awe? And that which is right reflects the moral righteous quality of my thinking. And that which is pure, that reflects its morality. It's pure morality. Are my thoughts immoral? Now listen, I, like you, have noticed that over the course of my life, you cannot even now take your child through the checkout lane at the store without wishing that you could put blinders on your child. You've seen parents with the little leashes on their child? Now I wish I could put the horse blinders on my children. Just when I go through the checkout line at the store. It's not like family friendly anymore. This used to really anger me. I used to go through the checkout line and see the stuff that they would put out there on the magazine covers and the things that are the headlines and I mean, a child of six years old can read some of the stuff that's put out there for public consumption. And it used to frustrate me and anger me because some of that stuff that I would see it and then I would have a thought in my mind or an image in my mind that I didn't want there and I would get mad. Finally, I realized, you know what? The problem is not my environment. The problem is not what they put on the covers of the magazines. But the problem, my problem, is not what's being pumped out of speakers in the mall that I'm in. My problem is not what is on the TV screen when I'm walking by it. You know what my problem is? Where do lusts and adulteries and fornications and thefts and gossips and murders come from? My environment? My heart. That's what the problem is. Then I realized my problem and my issue is not what is in my environment. I can't control my environment and God doesn't expect me to control my environment. But I determine how long my eyes linger. I determine whether the image on the magazine cover gets into my mind in the first place. And I determine how long I think on that image and what I do with that image. That is all determined by me. So I used to get really mad with my environment. Want to put blinders on, want to plug my ears, want to keep all of that stuff away, complain to the checker, complain to the manager. No, I just don't care. I just say the problem is not with that. The problem is not with my environment. The problem is with my heart. And I need to control my heart. I'm the one that determines what I look at. I'm the one that determines how long I think about it. How long my eyes linger is under my control and nobody else's. And how long your eyes linger is under your control and nobody else's. You control what you think about. So, let's make this really applicable. Pornography. Men, it's out. No more. Now sometimes, never. Never, ever. Under any circumstances. As of today, you should be done with that. Forever. You don't do it. You get rid of the internet connection. You can't handle it. You stop. You say, I can't live without email. Billions of people have lived without email. You would get along just fine. 
You say, I can't control it because at my job or at my environment, get a different job. Well, my business makes me, no, no, you get a different business. Get rid of the computer if you can't handle it. Disconnect from the Internet. Shut down your phone line. Become a hermit. Cut out your eye. It is better for you to go to hell with one eye than to go to hell or go to heaven with one eye than to hell with both your eyes. Whatever it costs, whatever you do, you stop it. And don't give me any excuses. Don't give me any lies. Don't tell me all of the things that you think that you're a victim of. You're not a victim. You stop it and you stop it today. And you don't say, well, I can control it. No, no, you're not controlling it. If you think you control it, then stop it. Show me that you can control it by stopping it. Don't give me excuses. I'm not satisfied with my wife. I don't have this. I don't get that. No excuses. No lies. You don't believe it. You don't buy it. And as of today, you stop it. And you go home and that's it. You're done with it. Never again. Um, no, Jim, I think that just it's not really affecting my marriage. It's not really affecting my relationship with the Lord. Yeah, it is. And as long as you're indulging the vile imaginations, listen, every prayer you pray falls on deaf ears. Every last one of them. You stop it. There's no excuses. None whatsoever. If you're getting your joys from a computer screen, you are worse than an animal. Even animals don't do that. You're defrauding your wife. You're defrauding yourself. You're lying to yourself. You've got a knife to your throat and you're telling yourself all the way to the slaughterhouse, I can control it and I can stop it before it gets out of control. And you're going to find yourself slaughtered and you're going to find yourself a victim because you've indulged a vile imagination and you've allowed it to run rampant in your life and you've given yourself over to the enemy. And he's gotten the victory. So you stop it. No more of that. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, and whatever is pure. All we're talking about this morning is the discipline of renewing my mind. The discipline of renewing my mind. Is it, you think it's easier for me than it is for you? I would suggest that it's probably a lot harder for me than it is for some of you because of the background that I came out of. I discipled a guy when I was in Bible college. He came to me. It was during my second year. He came to me and said, Jim, this is the environment that I came out of. Here's what I got saved out of just a couple of years ago. And it was a horribly immoral background. I mean, the type of immoral background. Bad stuff. And he said, constantly in my mind, those images and those people are there. No matter who I see, it reminds me of something from my past. No matter what image comes, it reminds me of something that I've done, which is horribly immoral and detestable. And he hated all of it. He hated all of the sin. He called himself, he, he could use term, Paul's terms, oh, wretched man that I am. He hated and detested the fact that his mind for years had been polluted by all of those things. So I worked with him and I discipled him over the course of the whole school year and did so... <clears throat> kind of long distance for the next couple of years, checking up on him and asking him how things are going. And he got a victory over that. But it was hard work and it was discipline. Is disciplining your mind an easy thing? It's not an easy thing. It requires work. But listen, if I have to choose between disciplining my mind and waging war against my flesh or living with the consequences of an undisciplined, untamed, unsanctified mind, I will choose the hard work of disciplining my mind. Why? Because the benefits are so worth it. It is so worth the work of disciplining my mind if I can enjoy the benefits of a disciplined and tamed mind. If you had to choose between having a surgery which would cure you of an ill or suffering a slow, agonizing, painful, horrible death over a long period of time, which would you choose? You would choose the surgery. Why? 
Because the cost is worth the benefits. If you have to choose between doing laundry or wearing always soiled clothes and putting on dirty underwear that haven't been washed in months, which would you choose? You're shuddering right now because you choose doing laundry. But it's such a horrible task to do laundry every week. But you do laundry and you choose to do laundry even though it's work because it is well worth the benefits. If you have to choose between that horrible task of brushing your teeth and flossing your teeth every day or living with all of the horrors of unbrushed teeth for after weeks and months and getting that slimy feeling like your teeth are growing hair and all of the food in between your teeth and the breath and the plaque and the decay and the rot and all of the stench that goes with it, which would you choose? You say, Jim, I would gladly choose the daily discipline of brushing my teeth. Why? Because the cost is worth the benefits. If you have to choose between preparing food, the discipline and work of preparing food several times a day, or starving to death slowly over the course of many weeks, which would you choose? You gladly choose the discipline and the work of preparing the food every day because the cost is well worth the benefits. If you have to choose between disciplining your mind and living with the horror of an undisciplined, tyrannical, fleshly mind, which would you choose? You are a fool if you would choose tyranny. A fool. It is well worth the benefits. And the only person who would argue with that is the person who has never put forth the work and therefore never reaped the benefits of a disciplined mind. You control what you think about. And you have to control what you think about. Now, if you're observant, you're looking at the clock and you're saying, you only got your four out of the eight. And that's true. And if you're observant, then you also know that last week I promised you that we would get through all of verse 8 and 9 today. And the only thing I can say to that is that I'm a bad prognosticator. And we will do the rest of that verse next week. We'll look at those last four qualities. Let's pray together. My Father, we are grateful for Your goodness to us in Christ and for the righteousness that we enjoy. We know that we sin with our minds just as we sin with the rest of our bodies. And we pray, O God, that You give us the grace to buffet them daily so that after having preached to others, we ourselves might not be disqualified. We ask that You give us the grace to discipline our minds and to bring them into subjection to make them obedient to Your Word and obedient to our righteous will. That we might honor You in all that we say, in all that we do, and most importantly, in all that we think. May sin never get a foothold in our minds, but give us the grace to discipline them and bring them under Your Lordship. We ask this for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.